You even know how to kill me. I'm gonna cut your head off. See if that works. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dude. 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 I know what you're thinking, punk. Question is, can I get Wolverine before he turns me into shish kebab with those claws? It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. gentlemen welcome to the legion of dudes presents the wolverine extravaganza just like logan we are the best there is of what we do i'm joined tonight by my fellow uh, cohorts and uh, scallywags and whatnots of the legion of dudes mr adam umack mr russell latham and mr johnny m how you doing gentlemen fantastic well, we're here to put the claws to the uh the wolverine uh mythos as it were the uh character past present and future in the wake of the uh very successful uh, x-men origins Wolverine movie that uh, just came out last week. Uh, so everybody's gotten to see the movie, yes? Yes. Yes. Oh, good, good. Well, well we're going to talk about a little bit of the history of the character and uh, some of our favorite moments of the character, what we like, dislike, and uh, then we'll get down to uh, reviewing the movie and the new cartoon and uh, also the video game, right? I just wanted to give a big shout-out and thanks to uh, Dominic and everyone at Steel City Con. Uh, last week, if you heard the episode, you can tell we had a really good time. Uh, we have some new video up on the website, uh, www.legionofdudes.com. And we have some more video from uh, Steel City Con on the way. We have uh, some interviews with the Steel City Derby Demons uh, roller derby team, who are uh, very cute and very tough girls, and uh, the R2-D2 Builders Club from uh, Carnegie Mellon University. These guys build actual working uh, R2-D2 robots. It's pretty impressive all the time and effort and uh work they put into it so check those out on our website coming up and uh, also check out our uh, lost audio blog which should be up by the time this episode is out for the new episode of lost did i forget anything the voicemail call and leave us a voicemail and we promise at some point we will get around to playing them uh when we do a show a little less pointed when we have a little free time for uh one of our wild card episodes uh the number is five one six four six eight seven nine one two Call anytime. Leave us some recipes or some, uh, you know, fortune cookie readings, whatever. We'll put them on. Uh, about some like death threats too, because you know <laughs> those are always exciting. Yes. Well, I'm going to throw uh, the, uh, the our, since we're doing an episode all about our, our good friend Logan. Uh, we need to send this to our resident ex expert, as it were, or as we call him, Professor X, among the dudes. Uh, Russell Latham, he's our, uh, our X-Men go-to guy, so it's only uh, fitting that he would be uh, leading this episode. So, Russ, take it away. All righty. So tonight we're going to talk all things Wolverine. So I thought we'd just go kind of give a little bit of history of the character, um, where he showed up first, and then where he went to from there. Wolverine, as everybody knows, showed up first as a brief, brief cameo at the end of Hulk 180, and then his first full appearance was Hulk 181, 
1974. So old Logan's been around for 35 years now, and it seems like he's just as popular now as ever. And after his appearance in Hulk, he didn't show up again until Giant Size X-Men number one in 1975 when he was kind of resurrected with the new X-Men team after the book itself was resurrected after a, about a three-year stint of reruns. And then pretty much from there, he's, he's pretty much appeared in the Marvel Universe solid from 75, you know, going from his run on Uncanny and then to the, to the big miniseries that Frank Miller drew and Chris Claremont wrote in the 80s, and then, he got, of course, he got his own ongoing series towards the end of the 80s and started appearing in both X-Men books, and now he's pretty much everywhere and anywhere, including the Avengers, all the X-Books, his own, he's got two solo titles. Actually, I think, it, I take that back, he's got, technically he's got four solo titles now, um, if you count well, Wolverine First Class and Weapon X, uh, Wolverine Weapon X First Class. So he is all over the place and saturated as all get out. One of the key pieces that was always missing from Wolverine was his origin. And I don't know if any of you have read the actual Wolverine origin miniseries by Paul Jenkins and drawn by Andy Kubert with Richard Eisenhoff doing the the, the digital uh, painting and and coloring and Quesada doing the covers. But they decided after the X-Men movie came out and Wolverine became such a popular character that pretty much if they didn't do the origin there, um, that the movies would do it. So they pretty much took it upon themselves to to create this and give us the official word on his origin, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I didn't get this when it first came out. I was kind of, this was kind of in my, my off period of comics for a little while, but got it in trade and I've, I've gone back and I have all the actual original first printings except for number one. Um, I was able to get the rest of them, um, but just, you know, beautiful art. Um, I, I thought it a really excellent story and, um, Great covers. I agree. I really, I really enjoyed that story as well. I, I was glad that they went back and did that after um, so many years of so many different uh, stories and different origins for Wolverine over the years. That you know, a lot of different artists and writers had tried to apply to him uh, over time. They finally, you know, they came out and said, "Okay, this is the story. This is where it begins." And I, I agree. I really enjoyed that story as well. I guess that was kind of my kind of my wheelhouse for comics as a. 11, 12-year-old, you know, those mid-80s X-Men runs. And um, I remember that, you know, the Hulk 181 was like the Holy Grail. Like, that's the comic we all wanted to, you know, try to get our hands on and find in somebody's, like, bin, you know, one, you know, maybe maybe you could find it somewhere. We used to search it all the time at, like, flea markets and, you know, whatever. We had a couple of comic book stores around town then and stuff. And um, I, I guess it was just that in in a time when like the big characters were like you know Spider Man who's so like all American and wholesome and and you know Captain America and and uh, you know your basic characters and even Superman and Batman for that matter you know Wolverine was just that first like antihero that you could latch onto and when times were a little bit in, in uh, a little bit different in kids comics you know you had a smoker and a drinker and a bit of a womanizer and it was just like cool to like the bad guy. I think that's what first latched me on, you know, back then. I always say that it was kind of like, I liked Wolverine when it wasn't, you know, in vogue to really like Wolverine. I mean, nowadays, it's he's so commonplace and saturated and everybody loves the character. But back in the, in the mid-80s, I think he was popular, but not popular like he is now. And everybody's not crazy about him now. So it almost seems like cliched to say that, you know, you're a fan of the character. You know, everybody thinks it's, you're jumping on the bandwagon, which isn't really the case, at least for me. 
It's like such a saturation point now. I think that's why people say that. Uh, I understand what you mean, though. I mean, I really, like John was saying, those, uh, those Claremont Burn X-Men for me, I mean, we talked about this in the Days of Future Past episode. It's like one of my favorite runs of comics of all time. And it was definitely like, uh, you know, for me, very defining of those characters. When I think of those characters, that's how I think of them. And Wolverine was so pivotal in that run. If you think about, you know, the Hellfire Club, uh, storyline where, you know, he has to fight his way in to save everyone else or the love that he shows for Jean Grey during the Dark Phoenix saga. He really, I mean, Claremont really pushed, uh, Logan out into the forefront and made him a major player in the X-Men as the, you know, as the book went on. And then, you know, as the appeal got broader and broader of the character, obviously, you know, Wolverine was everywhere. I, I agree with what you're saying. We you know in the early stages, like the um, the, the the Claremont Miller um, miniseries that you referenced earlier, uh, the Barry Windsor Smith uh, Weapon X story in uh, Marvel Comics Presents. I mean, when they were still like building the popularity of the character, that's when I really liked Wolverine and found him interesting. I think it got to a point with you know, like you're saying now, he's in four different comics of his own. He's in you know every X comic. He's in every Avengers comic. You know, it, it might have gotten a little bit to the point of, you know, saturation. Similar thing happened with the Punisher, though, you know, in the 90s when Punisher added, you know, three or four of his own books. And uh, it was very fashionable like him. I'm wondering why, um, if Cyclops is the de facto leader of the X-Men, I'm wondering, like, is, is, he, is Cyclops more or less kind of like the, uh, the Boy Scout, as, as we know Superman to be, that, like... Uh, did Cyclops' character just not pop enough for him, like, traversing all these other comics, too? And Wolverine's popularity, despite him not being the leader, but kind of like the, um, I guess, uh, old figurehead of the X-Men. I want to say, like, why not Cyclops for being kind of like the Nightwing, right? The, the ties that bind the whole Marvel Universe together, if he's, I mean, more than anyone, Professor X's protege. The best I can explain it, the way I look at it, is Wolverine is Han Solo and Cyclops is Luke Skywalker. And there's just something about Wolverine that, you know, he's kind of like the take charge guy. He gets things done. You know, he wants to get his hands dirty. He doesn't like playing by the rules. And it just kind of, I guess it made him an easier character to expand on. You know, him getting into trouble and not following protocol, and I think it led to more stories. I mean, it was more interesting. I was just going to say in the 80s when Wolverine, like, rose to the fame that he's at now or whatever, that, I mean, Grim and Gritty was the uh, the, the, the style, you know, of the comics, and, and uh, more of an anti-hero like Wolverine obviously would have more of an appeal to the comics buying public that's, you know, has the appetite for that kind of, uh, you know, writing or that kind of anti-hero, so... But yeah, it's a good it's a good point that you make, John. You know, uh, Cyclops is like the the goody two shoes son who wants to do right by his father. You know, as uh, Professor X, whereas Wolverine is a scoundrel. You know, I think a lot of it too is just the, the Cyclops character. I mean, unfortunately, I always like the Cyclops. I always like Cyclops as a character. I always have liked him as a character, but I think he's just a little too one dimensional. And I think in in the last several years, and part of this is, I mean, I'll give credit to Grant Morrison. And I think his his re reimagining of of Cyclops to some degree has helped this, but for the most part, he's pretty much been a one dimensional type of character where his origin is very well known. I mean, the whole you know fell out of a plane as a kid. That's what ruined his ability to control his optic blast. He's always been very retentive and you know afraid to let go. And you know he he was a part of the X Men from number one. 
so his his backstory, his history, and his you know what's been laid out is is pretty well defined, and there's not really any gaps. The thing where you have with Wolverine is you can send him off on many different directions. He's you know it's 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 rumored for a long time before it became official. You know, in the origin miniseries that he was born in the 1800s, it, it, it was intimated for a long time that he was at least 100 years old, if not, if not older. So there, there's a lot of pieces and parts and stuff that's been missing. So he, when he came into the mainstream, into the X universe, that's like, okay, present day forward. But you have all these stories that are open to tell about his time in Japan, about World War II, about, you know, the, you know, different other wars, about where he's been. There's, there's just so much that you could flesh out so he can go off and do his own thing and you could play around with the time frames and, and, and things like that. Um, and just his very nature, you know, the whole not up until recently, not ha- not remembering who he was. So there, I think just as a, as a story device, he lended himself more to, to these spinoff minis and, you know, his own series and stuff like that. Um, and just the mysteriousness of it. I mean, up until, you know, 2000, 2001, nobody knew what his origin was. So it was always just like, okay, maybe they're going to give us a little piece that we didn't see before. And, you know, they threw things out like the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon Axe. And, um, you know, we get little pieces here and there in his own book about, you know, characters that would pop in that knew him from way back that he didn't remember and situations that happened that didn't remember. Or we'd get a flashback arc, you know, that would tell the tale of, of things that happened years before. So, um, I think it just the, the nature of the character just lends itself to to kind of be able to to spin a, spin himself off and and tell these different tales. And that's what really sealed it for me. You know the the other tales that were told. I mean, those guys really picked up the ball and ran with it. I mean, the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X stuff is like genius. You know, to me, just showing the process that they put Wolverine through. You know, to make him Weapon X. And and then the you know the Frank Miller Claremont miniseries with putting him in Japan and with the samurai like it was just adding levels to this character that you know as a kid it, it was great you know he's the he's the kick ass guy that's gonna be rough and and be the bad guy you know the antihero but then you get all of these other levels and you're like wow this is a much deeper character than you ever thought you know then they hooked him up with Kitty Pride and he was like a father figure for her. You know, it just added these great levels to a character that seemed so, you know, uh, sing, you know, as one-dimensional as possible to begin with. It's funny that you mentioned, like, the aging influence on Logan, because uh, one of the first, I, I guess, yeah, story arcs that I read was, oh, and you're going to love this one, uh, Russ, it was uh, Joe Matt's arc, uh, Quest for the Crimson Dawn in Uncanny, when, uh, like, Psylocke needed saving, and they had to, like, go to the depths of this underground secret Asian city, like in the middle of nowhere and some and um it was one of those uh episodes where, you know, uh Archangel was there, Logan was there and a few other ex goofs were there too. And it was one of those, you know, uh they just kinda highlight, well, Wolverine's there he knows his way around the mystic arts, you know, of they so do that with Batman too, especially with Batman's relationship, well, at this point with Amanda Parbat, and also with um, Sensei, all the stuff that's even come out of R.I.P. even, and it's interesting, like, how close those two are, and I'm, I think, like, Wolverine informs what I think about Batman, and vice versa, too, 
Like, sometimes I don't think that Batman's just a hero. I think Batman's an anti-hero even sometimes. I mean, with the way that they kind of have the same kind of, like, way of the Shogun kind of midlife origin. You know what I mean? It's interesting how they work those things in. I mean, it's not a Kurosawa film by any means, but it's a lot better than um, Feral Wolverine after uh, he got the uh, adamantium sucked out of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I think that's that's one of the things that's that's cool about the Asian influence or the Japanese influence to the character was it kind of brought that whole sense of honor and sense of duty and, and brought a little more mainstream or normalcy to that character instead of making him just as this, you know, savage with a mysterious past, you know, really delving into the to the Japanese influence just kind of kind of made him, you know, feel like he had a code, you know, more so than Korean. Yeah, being the wild one. So we kind of touched on on some stuff. So I figured we kind of go around the horn here and just talk about our favorite runs, and then we can just all kind of chime in with. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of overlap here, but um, I'm just curious to hear to hear what your guys's you know favorite stories or runs are from from the past. So John, why don't you why don't you you go first? Um. All right. Well, as I mentioned, definitely the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X arc. That was just something really different from anything I'd read for Wolverine. He doesn't even seem to be the main character in the book. I mean, he's like in the chamber most of the book, and I don't think he says anything the whole arc. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Russ. Maybe the last page he says something on the way out? Yeah, yeah, very um, little dialogue at all. Right, right. That's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Um, I like the... Forget. I like the Enemy of the State run by Mark Miller. That's probably the the most recent run that I really enjoyed. And otherwise, you know, the Miller the Miller Claremont miniseries with all the Japanese and, and samurai stuff that we talked about. I'd say those are my three favorite uh, Wolverine stories. Adam, what do, what say you? Okay, I am going to jump to Ultimate X Men number one. I was so gung-ho about the Ultimate Universe when it first started, and that included Spidey 2. And I really, really liked the initial approach that Wolverine had, which was he was in the Brotherhood. He was one of um, Magneto's goons. And I, I remember the very last page of Ultimate X-Men number one, uh, Wolverine has his claws through a Tyrannosaurus's head. It was awesome. Uh <laughs> That was a really uh, like a really cold mark out moment, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I I really felt that you know after Wolverine infiltrated uh, Xavier's school, that they kind of went back to the old reliables. Like, oh well, now he likes Jean Grey. Now uh, he and Cyclops don't get along. So I kind of dropped that quick, but I really wish they kind of would kind of uh, excuse me. They picked up on that kind of, uh, the true, like, rogue nature uh, of that character uh, initially. I mean, they turned him soft and, like, what, five issues flat, which wasn't, you know, too great, but, man, if you're going to tease us like that, like, hey, this is a new universe, anything can happen, I, I just really, really like that. And I, I really wish they would have maybe keyed into that a little bit more. But you know what? It was a great one-page experiment, and I was really, really jazzed about that. And that is my best Wolverine memory uh, that I can think of right now. Jim? Well, like I said before, the, the Claremont Burn X-Men uh, run really kind of defined uh, Logan as a character for me. 
uh, the Claremont Miller uh, miniseries, like you guys said. Wolverine number eight uh, of his own series really stands out as a, uh, like, a, I think he's fighting Sabretooth. They kind of, uh, you know, give a little bit more way of his past, you know, of, uh, between him and Sabretooth, you know, the, the, the past they have together. Uh, anytime there's a fastball special, uh, <laughs> Kitty, the uh, Wolverine and Kitty Pride uh, miniseries, I think is super underrated. Uh, like Johnny said, the, the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X. And I really got to hand it to Joss Whedon and the Astonishing X-Men. The, his portrayal of Logan was spot on, especially the part where uh, he gets uh, blasted and, uh, and turns into a, basically a 10-year-old timid boy. And he cures himself with beer. I, I, I laughed out loud when I read that because, I mean, that is so Logan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But those, those will probably be my favorites. Oh, and the, um, I can't remember the issue of X-Men, Russ, you probably would, uh, where they, they first had a story with, uh, Captain America and, um, Logan working together in World yeah, War Yeah. They reprinted that in the Wolverine Origins Our War arc. I think it's, I think in, it was two, in the 240s. I, I want to say 246 or 264. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uncanny, yeah. Period. Yeah, well, it's got yeah, that awesome that. cover where it's it's Black Widow, Cap, and Wolverine on the and cover. Wolverine, exactly. Yeah. See, I knew you'd know these things. You're an expert. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they they reprinted that whole thing in in the Wolverine Origins because they went back to that um, story. They pretty much Daniel Way kind of retold it, sort of, um, and expanded upon it quite a bit in in Wolverine Origins, and and it was really good. And they they actually reprinted that issue in there in in pretty in its entirety as like a backup. So it was really cool. Yeah, I remember a, uh, the uh, Wolverine and Havoc uh, miniseries Meltdown, uh, by, Meltdown uh, yeah. paint, painted. I think it was painted by Bill uh, Sienkiewicz. That was really cool. And then I just recently read Enemy of the State, the line, I think, uh, Mark Millar and Andy Kubert, yep. or Adam Kubert. Um, and that, that was really good. I enjoyed that. So, John Romita Jr., I'm very sorry. Credit okay. where credit is due. I liked when he took out Lobo in uh, DC versus Marvel <laughs> in the space bar. <laughs> he was pretty cool yeah, in uh, Kid, Kitty's fairy tale too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they also, with the amalgam stuff, they they crossed him over with uh, with Batman, and he was called Dark Claw. They had a Joker and Sabretooth as uh, the hyena. That was yeah. that was like the that was the grisliest, uh, creepiest character ever. Because it was just like the Joker, but it was like uh, the Beast Man from E-Man uh, <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. And then they did the animated style where it was the, the Adventures of Dark Claw, and it was done totally in the the you know the, the Bruce Tim Adventures of Batman style, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that Jubilee and Robin were uh, mixed together too, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a cool... I think there were two of them when they went back. They did it once and then went back to it, and that was kind of neat. But uh, my favorite stuff is is pretty much going to be most of the stuff we mentioned earlier. I, I think I love the origin. Um, I think it was a great way to, to like I said, to kind of just put it in stone. But not it, it, the cool thing about origin was is it didn't focus on Wolverine as as the, as an adult character and his adventure. So they still kind of left that as an open book. But they define, you know, when he was born, where he grew up, where he lived, and kind of what happened that, you know, gave you all the formations of of the character and the and the person that he was going to be. So I I thought that was kind of genius in the way they handled it. So they didn't handcuff 
you know, anybody moving forward, and they didn't really undo anything. They didn't, you know, retcon really, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, nitpicking stuff, there's there's plenty in there, but they didn't retcon the Barry Windsor Smith stuff, which is what I was really afraid of when they when they were, you know, first talking about it, is that they were going to go in and kind of, um, you know, either negate it or, you know, do something to invalidate it, and they didn't do that. Like I said, it, it, it's totally focused on, you know, pretty much pre-1900, you know, Wolverine and, and, and where he grew up. Of course, the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X stuff. That art, uh, Barry Windsor Smith, is, his style is just so unique, and it's not what you'd see in an everyday comic, but it's just so striking and just so different. It's almost kind of like Sienkiewicz. You know, you just kind of look at it, and you know, you know who it is, and you know what it is. And he did some really, really cool, you know, X-Men-related stuff before he did the Weapon X stuff. He did the, the couple issues, the life-death issues in Uncanny, and then he did the... the uh, Uncanny 205, which is the First Lady Death Strike, which is another one. We talk about great Wolverine ones. That Uncanny 205, I just love that. With I think it was Katie, not Katie Power. No, I think it was Katie Power from Power Pack. Kind of comes across a you know Wolverine after he's just had his butt handed to him from Spiral and Lady Death Strike and that whole crew. And just that, like I said, that was just a, a really really cool issue. The uh, Enemy of the State, of course, the, the Miller John Romita Jr. 12 issues was really, really good. Anytime Ramita Jr. is going to draw Wolverine, I'm pretty much going to pick it up. I just love, love Ramita Jr. on, on X-Men in general, but, but especially Wolverine. I love that. I love his style. Another run that they did, you know, Adam kind of poked at it earlier, uh, from when Wolverine was without his uh, Admanium, when it got sucked out of him from X-Men 25, there was a run that Warren Ellis wrote, and Lionel Francis U the pencils, but it's called Not Dead Yet, and it was from 119, uh, the Wolverine series, 119 to 122, it's it's traded, but it's very it's, it's very good, I just actually reread it for the show, I think I read it when it originally came out in uh, the mid-90s, and hadn't picked it up again, it's it's kind of funny looking at early Lionel Francis U, because it's, you can kind of see the, the beginnings of, of what will be, you know, very common in his style, but, um, but more so the almost like the Marvel House style of the time than than his style as we know it today in looking at Secret Invasion um, and Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine and stuff like that. Um, every so often you look at, at Wolverine, you can tell you know definitely it's 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 Lionel U. But like I said, it's it's a lot more raw. And I personally, I I, I almost like his style back then more than now. It it seems a little over the top for me. I don't I don't think it's bad by any stretch, but. I, I don't I don't appreciate it as much as as others, I'll say. But it's it's another one of those Wolverine tales where you, you kind of take it kind of takes place in two time frames, which they do a lot with Wolverine. But this was kind of before it, it became as commonplace as as it is now, where they tell a tale from ten years earlier and he meets a character and how it affects you know him in the present day when he when he has the when he doesn't have the the adamantium in him, so he's got the bone you know the bone claws and. Um, his healing factor kind of uh, amped up because the Admanium is not kind of keeping it in check. So it was a pretty good story. I, you, I imagine as a trade, you'd probably be able to pick it up pretty cheap since it was only four issues long. It should be should be pretty thin. But very, I'm not the biggest Warren Ellis fan in the world, but it's definitely some of his better stuff. I I I enjoy it quite a bit. Definitely worth reading. Hey, I wanted to, wanted to ask you when. Wolverine, okay, I, I remember the holofoil cover, because that was, you know, special when you're 14 and you're buying this thing. You're like, oh, wow, this will be worth something. I guess there's kind of like two questions. Number one, 
It's like when whenever there's like event comics, why is it that whatever the most logical or coolest thing that should happen in the comics never happens? Like, why are we always wrong as fans? Like, wow, this is going to be crazy. Wolverine's going to go nuts. And then, like, you've got this huge anniversary issue. And then, like, well, we lose everything we like about him. <laughs> the adamantium has gone. Sorry. You know, it's like, well, secret invasion didn't end the way we think it should. Like, why are we always wrong but so right at the same time with what we think? And then the other thing is, like, what was the precedent for them turning Wolverine savage? I mean, because basically he was just a glorified beast um, at that point who just was, like, knuckle-dragging and just said, you know, huff or, like, sniff. <laughs> and had really big eyebrows for, like, the better part of the year. Like, was was that, like, an editorial hand-me-down, or was that just them kind of riffing on, well, it's let's put him through a real hard time? That's a good question. I think the, the biggest thing to come out of it was the fact that we found out that his claws were made of bone. I remember when that happened, and they show him, you know, the, they, the claws ripped through his, his hand and they were bone it was just like it was a the hugest holy crap moment because up until that point everybody thought that the claws were implanted that they weren't a part of him you know physically even though like the official handbook of the marvel universe has like a bisection of his you know of his hand and showed that you know it was like a mechanism in place and stuff like that so to see that they actually went there was was really cool but again i think like you know like you're saying the execution was just poor um, one of the things they justified was that, like, when it, the adamantium, one of the pluses to the, I guess, to the adamantium process was it kept his healing factor in check. So it, it like, changed, you know, the, the fact that in order for him to be able to cope with the bonding process, it had to, basically, his body was, I guess, on a low level, constantly always healing itself to, to cope with it. So it kind of, it, it took, I guess, the what made him feral and you know, that part of his healing factor and kind of toned it down some. And with the admanium ripped out, the fact that his healing factor was kind of gone over the top, it also kind of brought out all of the other characteristics um, that made him wild So it, to, to an extreme. And that went on for years. I think it was eight years that it went on that he, he didn't have the admanium in his body. Um, and I think it was kind of a low point for the character. I mean, there were some, there were some decent runs and there were some decent stories that were told, but overall it was kind of like him living out in the woods and, you know, just kind of weird, you know, like beast boy kind of stories. And I, I, I personally think that was a low point for the character. Um, but then when they brought him back, they brought him back pretty strong. So I, I like, I like, I like the initial, um, delivery and then the recovery and just in the middle, it was kind of spotty. I mean, they did some good stuff now and then. But but overall, I think it was a little weak. Because that actually tied into Apocalypse and Ozymandias, too. Yeah, and, yeah, um, the, yeah, the bringing back. The bringing and I don't, yeah. I don't know, anytime you have a blue do-rag that covers your eyeballs and your whole head is, is like, the significant costume change, probably not the best of ideas, but, you know, yeah, kind of question. But I, it was kind of weird. I mean, they actually they actually have that as a hero clicks too, uh, Savage Wolverine. Nice. Nice. They have, like, a bunch of iterations of him, too. They get, like, a Weapon X Wolverine, uh, the Ultimate Wolverine, you know, and, and the Savage one, too. I thought, I thought that was pretty funny. Because I'm sure everybody's yeah. just clamoring for it, I know. But, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Brand over. I chalk it up to a bad decision. I mean, remember uh, Superman once had a 
costume with no cape and teleported through the power of lightning rather than fly. So <laughs> anything can happen. Yeah, I guess. Superman at one point had a mullet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He looked damn good. How many of us? Some of the at least two of us. <laughs> I played the fifth. Does Wooden's hair grow back whenever he gets a haircut? Is that part of the healing factor? Because he's got the crazy, like... I never understood his hair either, because it must be really hard to wear a hat, unless he has, like, some giant proboscis, like a Demetrodon or something, with, like, that's part of his skull, because that is some crazy hair. Uh, I, I don't really understand it myself. It looks like, uh, kind of like, uh, you know the Daredevil villain, the Owl? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, whenever, whenever Michael Lark draws the owl, I always think of Wolverine. I think of the band Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> I think of the Space Phantoms from uh, Avengers. They have that same kind of thing going on. But every Comic-Con you go to, you see someone with that hair. Yeah. Hugh Jackman kind of pulled it off. They didn't go too over the top with it, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Another run, I, I, to kind of get back on that, what Adam was talking about on Ultimate X-Men, um, they did a run in the Ultimate X-Men when Bendis came, came on to Ultimate X-Men called Blockbuster. And it was, it was really a Spider-Man focused run. Um, but it, it was pretty cool because it kind of started out where Wolverine had been all shot up and he was kind of in New York and didn't have any place to go and pretty much like crashed into Spider-Man's place. And it was kind of up to Spider-Man to to kind of nurse him back to consciousness and kind of followed him around. And they kind of brought in, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. and um, some of the other characters. And it was just a real, I think it was, you know, a, a case of Bendis at his best, writing the character well and doing a really good job of bringing in Spider-Man with it, which, of course, in the Ultimate Universe, you know, Bendis just has it down. But... That if you ever see that trade, that's definitely worth getting because it's it's pretty self-contained too. The other X-Men kind of come into it later on, and there's a pretty funny exchange between Spider-Man and and, and Jean Grey where she realizes that you know Spider-Man is is thinking um, uh, thoughts about her, and, and he kind of repeats it back. And after she says it, then he really starts thinking of it. it, it it's just mm-hmm. a really really funny exchange. And then later on in the in the run when they kind of get into Kirkman took it over uh, for a while starting with, like, in the 60s and, and took it all the way up into the 90s and um, did some really interesting things with Cable and Wolverine and how he married those characters together. And I won't go too far into spoilers in case somebody, some of you guys haven't read it out there, but you know, tying those characters together in the Ultimate Universe is really kind of interesting uh, the way he did it. So I liked his portrayal um, towards the end. I think Adam, Adam's kind of right. They, they started on a good note and kind of, meandered and made it a little more like the mainstream and then like I said when Kirkman took it over he kind of really took the ultimate universe for what it was as, as something that shouldn't be like the mainstream and, and did a pretty good job with it the uh, ultimate nightmare miniseries too that led up to the uh, I'm trying to remember uh, I'm, I'm sorry ultimate secret that led up to ultimate nightmare uh, in ultimate nightmare the ultimate Captain America meets the ultimate Wolverine uh, and Captain America recognizes him from World War II but Ultimate Wolverine doesn't recognize. He thinks he's Cap's trying to mess with him. It's a really yeah. cool moment between the two of them, and uh, it's a really good story. I really like the, uh, some of the stories that played out in the Ultimate Universe, and I know we've talked off and on about it featuring it on the show. I think we'll probably have to get to that eventually. Yeah, 
Then the, uh, the I guess the, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll cut my list off here, but the last, really, I think the, my favorite of the Wolverine stories are when they deal with the whole mutant massacre and then the immediate aftermath of that, where we get the first, like, in-comic confrontations between Sabretooth and Wolverine, which were, like, right around the 215 to the 218, um, actually starting with, I think, 212 is, or 213 is when that started. Just had some just knockdown drag outs between the two of them, and you know that's where things I think were intimated that the the two characters were a little closely more closely tied, and then there was a lot of speculation for years that um, one was the father or the other, or they might be brothers, or you know, and even even some of that is still kind of up for speculation out there. So, so those are kind of some of my what I call my favorite runs. Hey, let me ask you a question about Sabretooth's costume. Cause we kind of talked about this when it was the uh, amalgamation of comics, but the traditional Sabretooth kind of orangey-brown uh, costume has got all that kind of like white, kind of like lion's mane fur on the back and on the shoulders. Does Victor just have uh, back hair, or is that actually part of the costume? Is that like voluntary on his part? Because I, I never knew the right answer, like, okay, does Juggernaut's head really that big? You know what I mean? Like, or is, or, like, is he, like, I guess, could you, like, help me define, like, Sabretooth, like, similarities, differences, power level wise with Wolverine? Because when Wolvie chopped his head off in the Ultimate X-Men, I forget which issue it was, like, maybe it's, like, 25 or something, I was like, oh, oh, no, he didn't, but uh, <laughs> it definitely did happen. So it's kind of like this weird uh, power play between the two I know, you know, who, who better to fight than someone close to yourself? So, like, has Sabretooth's origin or powers gone up and down kind of like Wolverine's? And talk to me about the back hair. Yeah, the, the, I think the back hair is really just part of the costume. That that mane that appears isn't really him. That's just the costume. Because they pretty much toned that down big time um, over the years. It's as far as power levels go, I think it's just like anything else. They fluctuate based on time and whoever's writing, but they, you know, they kind of both have the healing factor. They both, the, you know, the, the key difference is the admanium. You know, is, is Sabretooth not having the admanium in him, and just you know, they're they're passed together. You know, both being a part of the Weapon X program. I think for a while, if I'm not mistaken, and I think this was back, kind of in the late '90s, 2000s, where. Sabretooth actually got the Admanium put on his nails, just on the tips, so that he could kind of match Wolverine on that level. But I don't think they ever went so far as to lace his skeleton, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think nails. I think the nails rust was was the ultimate. Yeah, and, well, in the Ultimate Universe, he had four claws. Sabretooth had claws like Wolverine, except he had four of them and not three like Wolverine. And that's where it came out that that Sabretooth was either. I think it was Sabretooth was the father or the son. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've read that, that those runs. But they, they definitively pretty much said that the two are related directly to each other, whereas in the in the mainstream view, it's it's. I think they sort of disproved that but not wholly disproved that. They, I think they've kind of hinted here and there to it. But in the mainstream view, I think for a while, and I don't think it's the case anymore, well, obviously after the, the low run, it's all changed too, but he did have some admanium laced in him, or at least on his fingertips for a while. He had a weird costume in the Ultimate Universe, too, because he's basically got, like, dungarees and, like, a Rambo headband, too. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was... Uh, yeah, definitely. 
And and right now in the in the regular uh, Marvel universe, I mean, last we saw of him, Wolverine cut his head off again, right? I mean, he isn't, right. he's dead as far as we know. As, yes, as far as we know. Which they've kind of done. It, I don't know if you guys did. You guys ever read Legion Quest, which was the the lead up to, uh, which kind of gets into another another good run for Wolverine, which uh, was the lead up to the Age of Apocalypse. The last thing that happened before the, the whole wave hit over, where that it all changed to the to the Age of Apocalypse. It was a really cool issue because all this separate stuff was going on. Rogue and Gambit kissed each other, and Wolverine literally put his fist up underneath. Sabretooth's jaw and let his claws fly and you heard the, the snick and then you saw the look on, on Sabretooth's face and everything kind of washed over in that, that prismatic uh, color as, as, as the world kind of, kind of went away. So it was kind of cool because we really didn't pick up with any of that until four months later, you know, when they brought it all, all back. So it was really cool. But, but then of course the Weapon X book from the Age of Apocalypse where Wolverine only had one hand and the other hand had, uh, was, was missing. And he and Gene in Age of Apocalypse, too, I mean, they were, like, running buddies, too, because Cyclops literally was the Cyclops. Uh, yeah. What were they called? The Bedlam Brothers? Uh, he and uh, he and his brother Havoc, too, they were, like, totally, totally nuts in Age yeah. of Apocalypse. They were helping out uh, Sinister, who was working with uh, Dark Beast, uh, Dark McCoy. Yeah, all for Apocalypse. They were on the, the side of the side of the villains in, in that whole, whole get-up. Dude, even Blob got tarnished uh, in Age of Apocalypse. That's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, and Sabretooth is actually kind of a good guy in, in that, where he had the, the, his little sidekick with him. But yeah, that whole, you know, like I said, that whole, it's kind of funny because Sabretooth had been around for a while and Wolverine had been around for a while, but it wasn't really until that, you know, where he, he was a part of the Marauders during the, the Mutant Massacre where the two characters actually kind of met you know, confronted each other, you know, head on. So it was kind of interesting that, you know, it was kind of one of those things where you you thought that they'd have, they'd have been at loggerheads from the beginning, and and it, and it was you know quite a while after their introductions before they they got together and and really started this this feud with one another that's lasted the last you know 25 years. So to focus not so much on the past but to look a little bit at the present, who's reading Old Man Logan? Me. I read the first couple about. issues. Great book. Yeah, I'm very again. It's Mark Miller. And um, and Steve McNiven and you know with more Hollowell and, and and Dexter Vine so you know that great the great team up on the it's the pretty much the Civil War art team but the yeah, the the story is just really really good I love the way you know, where they're going with this uh, with this book I was just gonna say I like the way they you know they they started off with that little tidbit that they give you that Wolverine will not attack anyone anymore. You know, and right off the bat, it got you thinking. Now, what could possibly stop our knucklehead from wanting to beat people up? You know, and that was just a great way to start the book and get you thinking. And that was quite a reveal, I thought, as well as the book moved on. Yeah, yeah it was incredible. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all, and it's it's definitely worth reading that issue. I I think it just stinks that we have to wait an undetermined amount of time at this point for the ending of it. But so far, it's just been incredible. I can't wait until this is collected in one of those Marvel, you know, premiere hardcovers or whatever. I think it's just going to be awesome. Probably the best Mysterio turn, I would say. I mean, that that was bonkers. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. I mean, like, do you realize, like, how much time and planning had to have gone into that plan to to totally mess with Wolverine? I mean, like, (laughs) 
that was that was just straight up murder. I mean, that was crazy. I loved it. That's like when you know, like naysayers will call them. You know, they'll look at a comic book or a superhero movie and say, "Well, if he has the power to do that, then why doesn't he just do this and it would kill everyone?" You know, it's like that's what he did. You know, like he yeah, finally yeah. he finally used his ability in like a realistic way that a villain would really use it. Kind of like, um, remember um, in New Avengers, which Wolverine's also a part of. Remember when um, uh, Electro uh, broke everybody out in the first issue? Yeah, um, it's it's, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like okay, giant prison break, lights out, blackout. You know, I mean, I, I kind of like look at those two as as kind of like two sides of the same coin with that. Right. Well, the whole... It also reminds me of, uh, like, Miller's uh, graphic novel version of Wanted. Uh, unlike the movie, uh, in the graphic novel of Wanted, the villains finally just got their, you know, their collective crap together and, you know, kicked the butts of all the heroes, you know. It's just like John said, well, if they had all this power to do this, why didn't they just do this? And that's basically what they did in Wanted. You know, the whole world was run by the supervillains. Uh, I love Old Man Logan. It reminds me a lot of uh, Peter David's uh, Hulk, Future Imperfect, where we see the aftermath, but we don't know the story, and we slowly get it filled in as we go along. And I'm, I'm a sucker for those alternate history, uh, alternate future type stories like this and Kingdom Come and, and Future Imperfect and uh, the last Fantastic Four story and stuff like that. Yeah, who'd have thought they'd have been able to put in a, a, the spider buggy and actually make kind of a cool, uh, a cool appearance? Yeah. Yeah, I think they gave, I think everybody that they bring around in that book, they give kind of like a fresh little take on. I mean, even Venom, you know, yeah. has a cool appearance rather than like same old, same old from Venom. Well, and the whole fact that the Hulk's grandchildren are a bunch of like punk, you know, loan shark type. Uh, yeah, mobsters. Or whatever. Yeah, they're basically mobsters. It's pretty hilarious. But it's just, it's just a cool. Like, it's it's like a road show, you know, it's just, here they go from one end of the country to the other, and they just, you know, come across, you know, craziness after craziness after craziness, and it's just, it's just, I just, I, I really, I'm really enjoying it, really, really enjoying it, and I can't wait until, until the next issue comes out, because it looks like it's got the, the cover of uh, Captain America's cowl um, over top the Red Skull, so that, that ought to be interesting to see where that goes. So let's count Wolverine books right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I guess the official Wolverine type, proper title is now Dark Wolverine, or it will be real soon, and that'll actually be Dokken rather than Logan. Right. Um, but we did pick up a Weapon X title <laughs> that right. just started up. Uh, of course, New Avengers. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't even know this. How many of the X-Men titles is he in regularly right now? Mm-hmm. If any. Astonishing. Oh, right, Force, yeah. X-Force, uh, Astonishing, and then Uncanny for the most part. That's pretty much it as far as the main X-Books go. He's not in Legacy, or the ag- adjective list as it, as it is called. Right, and um, we still have Origins. He's got Origins, and he's got Wolverine First Class, which is kind of the... Uh, right. The kind of the telling of the, the, the beats in between the original... Um, you know, post Giantize X Men, or not post Giantize, but post um, Dark Phoenix Saga, really, where where Kitty Pride came into the to the fold, and and Professor Xavier kind of has him mentoring her. So it's kind of you know what's going on in between there, and then of course the like you said the Weapon X book. 
the Ultimate Hulk versus Ultimate Wolverine after yes. for for very long years. Yes. It's living up though, I gotta tell you. <laughs> Have you read five yet? Yeah. No. I don't know if I think five just came in this box. I read three and four are the new ones, right? Yeah, I haven't read five yet. I'm about to read five. five I just read five today, and it, it gets a little, I don't know. It, I, I can't tell if it's gone off the rails or if it hasn't gone off the rails. It's kind of, it's a little bizarre. It's even more bizarre than the other two, but the three, the three and four. Um, I'll probably like but be, Yeah, I'll probably, I'd be curious to see how it ends. Um, but, yeah, yeah he's, he's all over the place. Um, and that's, I, I think, to the detriment of the character in some ways. Um, I think some, you know, they they are telling some good stories in some in some areas, um, and then in some ways, I think I think he's just he's just a little too too out there. Too there's one shots. It seems like every month there's like one or two or three one shots that come out. Um, and as much as I love the character and and have so much, I mean, a huge portion of my you know X Men collection is, is Wolverine focused. The latest iteration of his book is on, I guess, in the 70s now, 70. 273 and I've got all I've got all 70 some odd issues but two and then pretty much from from his, his first series I've got in the 70s up until till the run ended um, about 80 90 percent complete so I've got a lot of stuff and I've got tons of one shots and minis and all that kind of stuff but even I've had to kind of cut back because it's just like uh, you know it's just there's just too much there's just way 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 too much and I think I, I, I my fear is is that if they keep up this kind of a um, saturation that people are just going to get tired of the character and he's going to get a little stale, real, you know, or even more stale than he may have make, become. I don't know what you guys think about his, his oversaturation. Well, you know, I think he was definitely in enough books already and then they had to continue to ramp it up for X-Men movies and Wolverine movies and, you know, they're supporting an animated show, which I guess we'll get into a little bit in a minute. But they almost could have left it alone, and he would have been getting enough exposure. But they still ramped it up for the other material, which I think kind of made it a little bit of overkill. Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I I didn't see the necessity for the origins book. I mean, I think there's a lot there I like. Um, there's been a lot of arcs that have been good, but I think they could have morphed his regular monthly into that um, that book. Because now he's, it's like there's stuff going on. I mean, obviously now with Old Man Logan, but they could have easily made that into a mini or, or, or taken a break from the Origins type stuff to do that. But I really saw that as kind of redundant, um, that, you know, you really didn't need two Wolverine monthlies, um, even though, of course, I'm getting them both. Now, I understand Jason Aaron has taken over uh, Wolverine. Is that right? Uh, he's right. Is he writing the Weapon X book? He's, yeah, he's writing the Weapon X book. The Wolverine book is getting taken over by, well, Daniel, I mean, Daniel Wade's kind of, he's credited with writing the first few, and I forget who, I forget the lady's name that's taken over that Wolverine book. And then, of course, he's still writing Origins. So, yeah, Jason Aaron is, is going to be writing the, the Weapon X book. I was kind of disappointed that I felt the same way about Origins. I was hoping the Weapon X book would tell, like, old Weapon X stories, like, you know, like, covert ops type stuff and things that he was forced to do when he was Weapon X and, like, the teammates that he had and things like that. But again, it seems to be, like, after the fact, like, Wolverine trying to figure out or confront what happened with Weapon X. So it's set present day rather than set in the past, which is what I was hoping for. Yeah, 
I mean, a lot of that and uh, was, I guess you'd have to go back to the Marvel Comics Presents, not the weapon, not the actual Barry Windsor Smith Marvel Comics Presents, but they did a pretty good run on Marvel Comics Presents where they went into a lot of the Team X stuff where it was Maverick and Sabretooth and, and Wraith and, you know, all those guys that when, you know, Silver Fox when they were kind of a team and, and, you know, did their, did the Weapon X thing. A lot of that stems from, you know, when, when, when Morrison wrote New X-Men, he did a lot of stuff. It, towards the tail end of his uh, his run, he did a lot of stuff with that whole weapon. They called it the Weapon Plus program, and that's kind of where we saw it went from being Weapon X to meaning the X meaning a 10 and not just a letter. Um, you know, that Weapon 1 was Captain America and so on and so forth, and you know they went into that whole Weapon 13 with the Phantom X. and So they did a lot of that, that whole Weapon Plus program and all the characters that were involved in that. And then they actually started a Weapon X series for, I think it ran like 18 or 20 issues or something like that. So this is kind of like the aftermath of that to kind of pick up to pick up and, and move that forward and him revisiting that. But no, I'm, I'm with you. I wish it was more of the past stuff. Has he ever had his own team, kind of like how Batman has the Outsiders? X-Force no, I... is kind of, I mean, it's really Cyclops' team. Cyclops pulls the strings, but Wolverine's kind of the leader, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, that's about the closest that it's been. Well, is it time to uh, tackle this movie? Yeah, I think so. And then unless anybody else has got more print stuff they want to talk about, but but yeah, I think the movie's good. Maybe we should talk real quick about the 90s X-Men cartoon and Wolverine and that. I always thought he was hilarious, you know. Some of his uh, lines that worked really well in the comic book didn't work so well spoken out loud, you know. Like, uh, it's adamantium tasting time, you know. (laughs) Speaking of the animated uh, stuff, I mean, the X-Men 90 stuff is classic, of course, but the Wolverine and the X-Men series is is pretty good. I'm actually pretty happy with it. It's something like I can watch with, you know, my kids, but it's not too toned down. Um, And they've tied in some storylines, like some classic, um, you know, X-Men storylines, which has been pretty cool. I don't know if anybody else has checked it out at all. Yeah, I've seen about the first ten or so episodes, and it's—I've been really impressed with it. I think the production values are very good, especially that—that's kind of one of the things you look back on the '90s show, and it's like the animation can be a little sketchy at sometimes. I think the voice work on the '90s show was good, and I think the vo- voice work on this one is good. But yeah, I'm very pleasantly surprised. Uh, Evolutions, and I don't know if any of you guys saw the the X Men Evolution. Um, series but it was very weak in the beginning and then about season two season three it really picked up and, and got pretty good and and surprisingly good but this from the from the bat pretty much to me knocked it out of the park i'm i'm really really enjoying it um even though it's kind of focused on on wolverine as kind of the the team lead but i think they addressed that pretty well why cyclops is kind of in the background and they brought emma into it which has been pretty interesting to kind of pick up on, you know, what things are going, how things are going in continuity and um, bringing Forge into the fold. And, I, I, yeah, I've been very, very impressed with it. Yeah, I've been watching it, too, and I, I really enjoy it. I like the way they're, it, it's it's a new, you know, new storyline everything like that. You can come to it fresh, but if you are an X-Men fan, you're going to watch it and see all the little threads and be like, oh, well, that's blah, blah, blah for me now. But, I mean, you don't need to have, you know, a knowledge of all that continuity to uh, to jump into the cartoon. It's really cool. I also agree with your estimation on evolution. I thought the first season was kind of a watered-down version of the X-Men, but then after a while, when they kind of fleshed out the characters a little more, it turned out to be a really uh, cool cartoon. I also want to shout out that um, the Hulk versus Wolverine cartoon, uh, the direct-to-DVD that came out uh, not too long ago. 
I thought it was awesome, and I really enjoyed the way they uh, uh, depicted uh, Deadpool and Omega Red and the, uh, the rest of the Weapon X team, and uh, I thought it was really uh, well done, and not what I was expecting when I, I watched the DVD at all. I oh, absolutely. It, it takes it did, a left I'm turn. I'm so glad it did, you know. Yeah, definitely. We we talked about it a little bit, I think, after the uh, New York Comic Con when it had first come out. We did a sh- show around then and we talked about it a little bit it was like it just seemed like it was going to be another hulk versus wolverine battle and then it makes that left turn and it brought in all the weapon x and the other characters and the uh you know even almost like the barry windsor smith stuff you know it was it was really cool yeah very uh pleasantly surprised i had somewhat low expectations of you know how it was going to be and that it was so short and, you know, for 35, 40 minutes, it was, I mean, they they, they pulled out all the stops. So, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely good. It almost kind of makes the, they did a similar episode in the in X, Wolverine and the X-Men. It almost makes it kind of redundant. But I thought it was interesting how the Fury character in the Wolverine and the X-Men one is kind of almost an amalgamation of, of all the, of, of the ultimate Fury and the, uh, and the, the mainstream Fury. It's, it's kind of, kind of interesting how they, they kind of melded the two together to make the Wolverine and the X-Men Fury. So about okay, that... Okay, well, X, X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, the movie. Uh, we've been waiting for it for a while. X3, I, can, I think I can safely say that X3 kind of uh, dropped, the, dropped the, uh, the ball, as it were, as far as the X-Franchise is concerned. Uh, is that pretty much a, a consensus? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, seeing as how they killed everyone... Uh, I guess they have to do the Wolverine one-shot movie. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of Origins prequels from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and like, and here's the thing with with this stuff. Like, I understand they're they're building toward the Avengers movie and stuff, and I don't think anybody will balk if Wolverine's not included with the Avengers. Uh, you know, because I mean, if they were going to put in an Easter egg for the Avengers movie. Uh, this was the movie to do it in. I mean, this is the Marvel movie for the year. You know what I mean? But well, it's, like, it's really not. It's it's. See, this is where it gets tricky. X Men is still owned by Fox, so they have no. There's no back and forth with Wolverine and the Avengers, right? Am I correct, Russ? They can't. Yeah, Fox owns the the rights to. They still have the FF. They still have um, Wolverine and all the X Men related stuff, and then. Uh, Daredevil and certain Daredevil characters. So yeah, you're not going to see. You know, the the one thing about the 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 lead up to the Avengers, you know, meaning Iron Man and Hulk and Thor and Cap, is they're not even studio owned. They're they, well, they are. They're Marvel studio owned. So those, you know, they picked a, dis- a distribution partner in you know Paramount for uh, you know, for Iron Man and I guess Universal for Hulk or Paramount for, for both of them or whatever. And, and Paramount, I think, is their key partner. But Marvel Studios is who the primary producer is. Whereas with the others, like Sony, still owns Spider-Man. So you're you're going to see that that line drawn where you're not going to get any cross between between any of that. Well, here's an interesting thing, though, Russ. If Fox does not continue to use the X-Men license in movie movies, then the rights revert. Back to Marvel. That's one of the reasons they wanted. They're, they're thinking about doing a Daredevil reboot. They're thinking about doing another Fantastic Four reboot, and they're thinking about doing these X Men Origins films. What if? And you know, I guess this is a pretty big if. What if they don't come out with another X Men film after X Men Origins Wolverine? 
the rights revert back to Marvel Studios, and then we could see Wolverine crossing over with the Avengers um, movie. I, I read a press release today, actually, that, that said that Iron Man 2 will be out next summer, and the summer after that will be Thor and Captain America, uh, Thor first and then Cap, I think, a couple months after. And then the summer after that, it's supposed to be the Avengers film. So I guess it is possible that the X-Men rights could revert back to Fo- or revert from Fox back to Marvel Studios by the time the Avengers film is over. Right. So it could happen. I mean, it right. would be Even curious. though they're already... They're already talking sequel to this Wolverine movie, being that it made what eight over eighty million the first weekend. Yeah, yeah it was eighty eighty five domestic and then seventy five foreign. So it's right. It it's made back its its cost at, at this point. Right. Let's go around and everybody give their kind of thoughts on it. You know, what did they what did they think? Um, I'll start. I mean, I I liked it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to defend it. I can't really come up with great things to say about it, but, like, I enjoyed, you know, three-quarters of the movie. I like the title sequence, you know, and and people are going to say, oh, well, they copied Watchmen doing the, you know, the title sequence with the slow-mo and the, you know, kind of like a flashback and a title sequence. Well, all right, well, Watchmen copied the uh, new Hulk movie because they did the same thing in the title sequence also. So, you know, to me, I I don't know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it had good action. I thought the characters were pretty much spot on. Does it have some corny lines? Yeah. You know, uh, did they screw up Deadpool big time? But I didn't feel my, I didn't feel it dragging. You know, I thought, I thought it was okay. You know, I rank it like better than the first Hulk movie and better than like Punisher Warzone and maybe like not as good as Daredevil, you know, like that level of superhero movie. Adam? Um, well, I think the blob had the funniest line. Uh, in the movie, <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was good for what it was. Um, it was what it was. We're getting very existential here, I know. I mean, it was just a popcorn movie. I don't think it was the uh, kickoff to summer movies, although the box office would probably say otherwise. But, I mean, it, it, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, it's pretty good. Just like the 90s cartoons, those voices were the X-Men. It's, I almost want to say it's like sometimes with whatever you see when you're a kid, like it sticks with you, like the Super Friends, or I can only imagine how many kids got, uh, you know, impressed upon them, the Bruce Tim Justice League universe. And I think for a lot of kids, the uh, Hugh Jackman, despite all evidence to the contrary, with him uh, <laughs> doing, uh, you know, the Carousel musical remake and whatnot, I think he's going to be Wolverine for a lot of people. And I, I think this was this wasn't, you know, this wasn't our back issue been Wolverine story, but it was one regardless, and the action sequences were pretty cool. I'm glad, I'll put it to you this way, I'm glad I caught the bat name. I didn't say, I didn't pay, you know, the full eight or ten bucks for the evening show. Jimbo? I uh, would like to quote uh, Mr. Horse from the Ren and Stimpy cartoon. No, sir, I don't like it. I just, I, I just uh, did not enjoy this at all there were a few parts that i thought were cool in the very beginning was you know showing the weapon x team working together you know that was the whole deadpool you know with the sword and the bullets thing that was cool and you know the the gambit you know with the floating playing cards that was cool but it, it just it seemed like it had every action movie cliche in the world in it it seemed like every like big action set piece which is ripped off from another movie I'm watching. One of the things that just makes me upset when I watch movies is when I can absolutely tell you what's going to happen, you know, every beat of the movie. 
And I'm sitting there watching Wolverine. I'm like, oh, well, he's being taken in by a kindly old couple. Oh, great. They have a motorcycle. Oh, and a jacket that fits in this. Great. How long is it going to be before these people are dead? How long is it going to be before these people die? Oh, well, they're dead, you know. Okay, now Wolverine, you know, he's, he's happy. He's a lumberjack. He's with a school teacher, you know. I'm thinking, how long is it going to be before she dies? How long is it going to be before she comes back? Because obviously her death was faked. You know, it's just like all these little things that just, just kind of ruined it for me. The cheesy dialogue in some parts, the, the, the special effects that didn't, didn't quite look right. And I don't know who cast Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas as Blank, but I mean, the dude is a very gifted musician, not so much as an actor. Um, I just really, I mean, I, and I know that I've been criticized on the forums or whatever, but I, I, I don't care if they, you know, mess up the continuity or change a story or anything like that, as long as it makes sense unto itself. And it, but it doesn't. And it kind of even contradicts parts of like X-Men 1, if you think about it. Because when Logan meet, you know, and, and Cyclops meet in X-Men 1, that's the first place in time that they meet. And yet they met in this movie as well. And Emma Frost is a white suburban girl from America now. And she, you know, and how can, I mean, why would you hold all these mutants? It, it just, I don't know. There's too many things that didn't make sense. Why would he, why would he order Wolverine killed right where Wolverine could hear him with his advanced hearing? You know, why would you have all these superpowered mutants kept in metal cages? Couldn't one of them break out? I mean, if you had diamond hard skin, I would be able to break out of a metal cage. I mean, they had they had Quicksilver or whoever it was in a diaper held up by by rubber bands. That's really going to stop. I mean, I there were just so many little things that really annoyed me about it. That the little things that I did like about it were just kind of overshadowed by that. So I just I was very disappointed and and I just did not like it. Do you think, Russ? Before we get to what you think, do you think the Green Arrow Supermax movie is going to be kind of like this, where it's like Green Arrow against the world? Kind of like how it was with Wolverine here, because like I don't, I I just kind of felt like maybe that's what Goyer's trying to do with the Supermax script. Have anybody, has anybody seen any advanced advances on those or anything like that from some of the movie sites and whatnot? I, I, it, it it seems kind of like I don't know, maybe a little too clandestine. I don't know, like are the movie studios getting too big for their britches with with these one-offs, like the like Venom or the Wolverine or maybe even the Green Arrow stuff or? Should they just stick to like the the bigger, not that Wolverine isn't, but like the bigger mainstays? I mean, Batman's obviously safe. Well, I mean, can you call it a mistake? It, it just made like eighty-eight million dollars. I mean, <laughs> I mean. Well, I well, I excluded well, I I excluded Wolverine from that, John. Well, yeah, I think. I mean, I I don't know. I guess. I mean, how many times are they going to flop with a Punisher reboot? I mean, I see what I, I see what you're getting at. You know, I don't, I don't know. I always think it's just funny the way these movies go down. You know, like we all loved Watchmen, but it flops in the box office. And we all have so many bad things to say about Wolverine, but it makes over 80 million bucks. I mean, I think the mainstream and the comic geeks are like just two separate entities. And I don't know if we'll ever be happy together. Well, I think the example you cite, I mean, a lot more people know who Wolverine is than know who Dr. Manhattan is. You well, know exactly. I mean? and We've that, already and had three movies to establish, you know, Hugh Jackman's character, and it's an established franchise. Exactly. You know, as you watch something brand new. So. Right, and that means that they can make two more crappy sequels, and they'll still make money. 
I guess I'm just answering the question of whether they're getting too big and making mistakes with these movies. You know, I don't, I don't think they are yet. It, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I mean, you can even look at the mainstream. Look at Spider-Man 3 and X-Men 3. I mean, you take Spider-Man 2 and X-Men 2, and they're probably two of the best examples of how good a superhero movie can be. Not just a good superhero movie, but just a good movie. To me, there was just so much that was spot on perfect, and it was so well executed. And then you get to the third one, and it's just like the, the wheels fall off the train. It's like, what, what just happened? But, you know, again, both of them made more money than the other two. You know, Spider-Man 3 made, made way more, you know, a ton of money. Sp- X-Men 3 was the highest grossing of the three, but yet it was, it was critically and, you know, fan, fan-wise, it was the worst. But, but you know, yet again, it made, it made the most. It's still abysmal. I look at it like this. I kind of look at it like the video game industry. Like, for only having uh, the three, my Xbox 360 for a little over a year now, what amazes me still about, like, a next-gen uh, platform is that there's still crappy games. Like, there's, like, I, I owned, like, what is it, River City Ransom, Mickey's Mouse Capade, TNC Surf Designs, and Hudson's Adventure Island when I was a kid and had Nintendo. And those are terrible, terrible Nintendo games. And still, 20, 25 years later, um, they're still making terrible, beautiful, I mean, amazing-looking in some cases, but, like, terrible video games. And it's like, until these things are not financially, you know, viable and profitable, they're going to still make the same kind of not-good movies just for the sake of making them. You know, some some production company, read in there, uh, some video game developer, has an idea, and then they run with it. I mean, the masses go to wherever they are. And until we prove that we can shut them down, which the Internet obviously didn't do with this movie, they're still going to make it, you know? I think the most successful uh, superhero adaptations or, you know, comic book movies or whatever you want to call them are the ones that look at the characters, realize why they've been so popular and why they're cool for readers and fans of the character, and then capitalize on that. And, I mean, Iron Man is a great example of that. John Favreau and his, and his writers looked at Iron Man. Okay, what makes Iron Man cool? The gadgets make him cool. The fact that he is, you know, trying to find personal redemption, the whole character arc, all those things. And they took all those things and made him cool and made a movie about that. And guess what? The movie was great. Same with The Dark Knight. What is, you know, what is Batman? What, what is it that makes Batman appealing to everyone? Well, you know, the duality of the character, the darkness of the character. The, you know, this is why there are so many Batman fans is because this is why Batman is such an archetype. And when they work with the archetype, then you get something great like, you know, the Dark Knight. When they work against the archetype, you end up with Elektra, you know? And I think sometimes it's, it's a case of, and, and it, I guess, Adam, it does get to your point a little bit, is where the studio comes in, and I think they try and think they know better. And I don't know if it's they feel like they can cut corners or they feel like they have the upper hand or whatever. And I think where you get like Spider-Man 3, where the studio kind of pushed on Raimi a little bit to go in a direction he wasn't really intended to go in. And the same thing with the third one. It's like they lost Brian Singer, and, you know, and then, all, you know, all of a sudden, you know, things go, you know, go really sideways there. And I think the same thing with Electra. They just saw Daredevil as a pretty good moneymaker, Jennifer Garner as a, you know, as a property, and instead of, you know, making sure they focus on a good story, it was like, let's just get it out. You know, let's just do something that, 
that that's going to make us money because Daredevil made money and it had these characters. And so if we put this character in another movie, it's going to make mo- you know it's going to make money too. You know, you get to where you know the suits start making the decisions more than you know than than the people that really know and 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 know the right things to do. And I think that's where you have. You know, I think Marvel's playing it smart where they recognize where Favreau did such a great job with Iron Man and, and especially because of his involvement that, you know, they basically gave him producer credits or executive producer credit with, you know, the, the Avengers stuff. So I, I, I think that's a case of, you know, studio done right and not studio done wrong. How much better would the movie have been if they just didn't sew Deadpool's mouth shut, let him use regular samurai swords instead of giving him adamantium swords in his arms, and said that the process scarred him so much that he's going to need to wear this red and black mask. I mean, it would have been so much better just leaving the, the content alone. I can't think of one good reason why they had to change who he was. That's why Deadpool is such a great character, because he's that psychotic smart, you know, smart ass or whatever. He's like... I mean, that's why people like Deadpool, you know, and they take, yep. they took that away and they turned him into Baraka from friggin', uh, you know, Mortal Kombat or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess like the thing is like, we've, we've been down this road before, but this is such a unique scenario because they're creating a franchise within a franchise after the character's already been around for 10 or so years, you know? But like, yeah. I mean, Wolverine, I mean, no joke. I mean, that's obviously the A-list as far as heroes go. But think of the, the B and C listers like, dare I say, Catwoman or Electra. Correct me if I'm wrong, but people had more than their fair share of opportunity with this movie, especially with word of mouth, to not go, but they still did. Well, I think the word of mouth was more positive than negative, to be honest with you. I mean, I read a lot more stuff that, you know, mainstream stuff that gave it, that spoke more fair than, than foul. I, yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think a big part of it, too, was the uh, the myth of the reshoots that never really showed up. You know, I think it interested people as to what they were going to change from what got leaked to what was actually in the theater, which the answer, yeah. I'm pretty sure, is nothing. Well, they're just trying to be cute with it, with all these multiple endings and stuff, too. I mean, that's yeah. like, whatever. Which I like the yeah, Japan ending just... much better than the Deadpool ending. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. You know, I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, I think it's just like anything else. It's either going to be done right or done wrong. And I think overall, whenever the whenever the audience stops coming, that's when it's going to stop. I mean, this superhero train is going to ride until until they make two or three or four of them that are just really really bad or that really just don't do well. You know, that 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 are just losers. That you know, even mild, yeah, yeah. You know, even mild successes, I think, will still carry forward. You know, because it's easy if you know you're going to make make profit and it's a known quantity. You know, think of how much less advertising you have to do on something that you know people know. You know, as opposed to people, you know, what people don't know. So you know, it's just like anything else. You know, Hollywood has you know trends and fads, and you know, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, superheroes right now are a fad. I think 20 years from now, it's going to be something else. You know, maybe westerns will be back or sci-fi pirates. Pirates, yeah. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Uh, superheroes have been a fad, like ever, probably ever since you know, the uh, the Superman, Superman the movie. You know, 
also yeah, 1980. They've been in and out of vogue. I mean, we yeah. see, you know, really good on one end. We see, you know, like I said, Superman the movie or whatever. And on the other end, we see, you know, Batman Forever and Batman or Robin. I mean, Batman Forever made money, like you're saying. I mean, it was a yeah. terrible, terrible film. And Batman right. and Robin, I'm sure, you know, the same deal. Has there ever been a precedent for a movie to be completely released like this before? I mean, off the books released? Hmm. I saw Napoleon Dynamite about two months early. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, well, 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 I mean, you know, aside from, like, the bootlegs and stuff, like, on the street, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, but, like, when I say people had ample opportunity, I don't mean that the reviews were negative from, you know, the fan community and, 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 and stuff like that, but I'm just saying, like, well, <laughs> if, 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 if anyone has had a chance to say to not support a film, not to trash the thing. Like yeah, I said, no, I get what, what it was. But yeah, I they, get what you're saying. But this this was the this was the um the 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 event to do it and the venue to do it. Not that you need to stage a protest because we all like comics, but I'm just saying like this was the you know prime opportunity for the for a movie not to do well, negative or positive. Buzz aside, guys, and I I just I'm I'm surprised. I really am surprised. And unless they're cooking the books over there. You know, like Enron or whatever. I, I I think that you know, I'm I'm really surprised with the amount that it took in. They say that the entertainment and the movie industry is bulletproof. You know what I mean? Yeah. With with, I, with you know the economy and stuff too. So maybe that maybe there's other stuff at work too. I, I don't know. I think it's it's like anything else. If it came out and it was bad, I mean truly bad. I mean, and obviously everybody's. You know, opinion is subjective, but I think overall is that people watched it and they were like, "This is another Electra." Like, if they really like, it was really bad on so many levels. I think that word of mouth would have got out there and and just killed it. I think you know, like most things, you put out what's considered a quality product and it something that exceeds your expectations, or you know, who was really downloading it and watching it. If it's all the comic book geeks that were pulling it down and watching it, they're going to go see it anyway because they're, you know, they're film nuts, most of them as well. They want to see it on a big screen with, you know, the big good sound system and, you know, blah, 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 on and on. And I think for folks that might have pulled it down and watched it, I think in general it was a positive experience and they went to the theater and paid to see it. So, you know, I think, I think this could have easily worked one way versus the other. Um, and, I, and I think given the fact, you know, they were really worried. I guess the, the studio estimates were like $75 million, so it exceeded studio expectations. So they can't turn around and say, well, you know, the movie was pirated, so that's going to kill us at the box office. Well, in this case, you know, it, it didn't. You know what's really crazy? John has the Blu-ray already. Not yet. <laughs> I'll get it, though. Give it a week. <laughs> Nah. It'll be so imported Jim, from like Singapore or Madagascar or something, but he'll, he'll get it. Canada. Jim, why don't you talk video game uh, a little bit before we run into like a three-hour show? Okay. I uh, rented the X-Men Origins Wolverine video game for the Xbox 360, and I found it to be very enjoyable. Uh, it's it's cool. They uh, They actually animate his healing factor as you're playing the game. So say you're going up against guys and they you know, rip up your your arms and your and your back or whatever, you can see it slowly healing as you attack. Uh, there's a lot of special moves. Uh, the graphics, it's using the Unreal 3 engine, which is the same engine as uh, Gears of War, and it's also going to be in the new Terminator game. It's used in a lot of games, but uh, it just it looks really good. It has a lot. It's a lot more depth to it than most of your um, beat 'em up type games like the Watchmen uh, downloadable game or whatever. 
there are combos you can buy. You can upgrade different abilities on uh, Wolverine as you go through the game. Uh, you can, you know, special attacks, you know, Berserker Rage, Healing Factor, uh, things like that. So you can kind of customize uh, for your play style. There's a really cool boss fight against a Sentinel, uh, and it kind of follows the storyline of the movie, but it shows like before, after, during, and kind of fills in some of the holes. So uh, if you like action uh, third-person video games, I definitely uh, would give this a rental and check it out. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the movie. Kind of like God of War, right? Like you can there's different combos, and as you upgrade and learn new moves, and you know rip through levels, your guy gets more powerful, and you learn different moves. And exactly, you can buy new combos, new new finishing moves, um, new attacks, and you can upgrade different abilities as well. And there's some cool skins, right? Like they had the old blue and yellow, and the you know the brown costume. I think there's some different customizable uh, sets for Wolverine too. Well, it's pretty cool. The way you get those, um, the way you get those costumes in the game is by beating that version of Wolverine. Oh, nice! So you start off, you start off with the movie version of Wolverine, and then in the danger room uh, that they have, if you fight, you know, the old yellow and blue Wolverine and beat him, then you get his costume. They also have the brown costume, the Weapon X uh, version with the tubes and everything. So there's a lot, of, you know, there's more depth to it than a lot of games that are out there. See, that's exactly why I didn't like the game for what you guys just said that you liked about it with the combos and stuff. Because the Wolverine character, it was almost like he was Barishnikov on stage there. And he did like a spin attack that lasted for like well over 20 seconds when you just clear out an entire room by uh, doing a pirouette with your, <laughs> with your claws prostrate. You know how like you can get like a 36 hit combo or whatever on like a game like Street Fighter? Like, I, I think, okay. Sometimes I felt that the game was more like an exercise in how many chains can you get going with like uh, all the all like the agents and stuff like that that you were trying to take down. So like it, that kind of took me out of it. But you know, I think it's worth a rental. I don't think it's I don't think it's a sixty dollar game as I always say. That that's my gauge. You know, I'd say rent it or uh, or check uh, the demo. But um, you know, grain of salt. I, it was okay for what it was. Like the movie, I, I think it matched, but. How much? How true is that for many licensed properties? Like I remember oh. the Superman Returns, the Superman Returns video game. <clears throat> what a joke! And I, I bought the Hellboy: Science of Evil. I took that back, and I was like, "Listen, dude, I cannot. I literally cannot play this game. It was so bad." So <laughs> I got some stories on that one. But uh, not to be a hater, but I mean, it was cool. I think for other reasons you said, and not for the reasons you said. If, if that's fair. Yeah, I agree that maybe sixty dollars might be a lot to pay for right out of the gate, but as a rental, yeah, I found it. I found it to be pretty fun. It's nice to, uh, you know, be able to. I, I understand about you're saying about the combos and whatnot, but um, I kind of like that. I kind of, I mean, in a Wolverine game, it makes total sense to have that kind of gameplay. But yeah, definitely, I would, I would give it a rental. See if you enjoyed it, and uh, you know, it's definitely for the Wolverine fans and uh, for fans of third person action uh, style games, like uh, John said, like God of War. Cool. I'll have to check it out. What? How many hours? Like, if you did you play through it all, or are you still working through it, or like how many hours of gameplay would you say it probably is start to finish? I've got about four hours in, so I, yeah. I don't know uh, as as of yet. And that's but pretty that's good, right? Like, it, a short game could have been over in four hours or five, right? I mean, yeah, hopefully I, I you're not at the Adam very end. Saying, though, about licensed games, usually like really tanking and not being good. It's cool to see uh, something you know, licensed from a movie like this. That actually, uh, Raven Software, the people that did it, they did the X Men Legends games, 
they uh, they really know this kind of uh, gameplay, this you know, third-person uh, action gameplay. So I'm hoping this is like a trend because that Chronicles of Riddick game, I played the demo of that, and that was really fun. And that was also a licensed game. So hopefully, you know, this means we've turned the corner and that now I can hold out hope for that new Batman Arkham Asylum game to actually also be good. Oh, and the Terminator game, please. Oh, I know. It looks I just like want to hunt robots. Ghostbusters, man, I'm telling you. Ghostbusters game. Yeah, that looks really good. Yeah, the, the New York Comic Con Ghostbusters look really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be great, too. They interviewed the main dude at Ravensoft who was in charge of... Uh, of the game, you know how they have like the little stuff on Inside Xbox and like what's new. You can you know watch your little clips on on your Xbox dashboard. And he was like, uh, basically, we're just trying to make the game not suck <laughs> for, for the least time that they. I mean, like that's I'm that's not verbatim, but like that's pretty much the gist of what he said. I don't think I'm taking words out of his uh, or, or misusing his words or anything. But he's like, yeah, we just don't want this to like uh, people to hate us for for making this. So. We're trying to be, you know, we're very diplomatic about this, you know, so I thought that was funny. Just to get back to the movie a little bit, I mean, I do have to hand it to Hugh Jackman. For someone that came into that to that role, he wasn't the first choice, you know, to play him in the first X-Men movie. To come in and just knock it out of the park and, and take that role and make it his own and, you know, publicly not move away from it. You know, he, this is his fourth go-around as the character. He's always been on board, you know, with, with coming back to the character and play it. He's never kind of taken that stuck-up, snooty kind of attitude where, you know, okay, now I'm a big famous actor and it's, it's too good for me. You know, he seems to genuinely enjoy playing the character, liking the character, and embracing, you know, what the character is. And I think that's, you know, to me that's important because I think, like I said, so many of these guys, they, they you know, don't want to be typecast or they're afraid of, you know that they're you know too important, and I don't I don't get that vibe off of him at all. And and you know I I think he's done an excellent job you know with with the character, even though he doesn't you know exactly match up you know to the comic book version. Um, but I think that's okay. And I think um, you know I, I I really appreciate his his performance you know as the character, and and I think he he's done a pretty pretty darn good job. All right, Jim, why don't you bring it home? You're good at that. Uh, thanks for listening to Legion of Dudes. Uh, this has been our Wolverine Extravaganza episode. For uh, If you have anything to say, anything you want to fire to us, let us know about. Uh, send it to comments at legionofdudes.com. That's our email. Or you can post on our forum at www.thecomicforums.com. Now newly remodeled uh, by uh, forum keeper Brian Deemer. Go check that out. We're in the Half Hour Wasted and Legion of Dudes forums. Please drop us a line. We'd love to hear your feedback from uh, the shows that we do. And uh, I want to thank everybody who had a lot of kind words for the LOD. Uh, Still City Con took time out to come and uh, tell me how much they enjoyed this show. Thank you very much. And as long as you guys keep listening, we'll keep doing it. Please go to our website, legionofdudes.com. You'll have, uh, we have an audio blog coming up for the new uh, episode of Lost. We have exclusive video content, exclusive stuff that you won't get on the podcast feed. You have to go to the website to check it out. So do so. Uh, you can check us out at www.legionofdudes.com. I also want to plug on May 10th, our friend, our brother podcast, the Half Hour Wasted Gentlemen, are going to be uh, having a live call-in show about the new Star Trek movie. Uh, so you want to check that out and you can get the details from uh, our shared forum uh, at thecomicforums.com. Hey, what's coming up next for us before we kick out of here? Is it New Frontier next week? Uh, that's right. Uh, our next Maxi series is going to be uh, Darwin Cook's epic, the GC, the New Frontier. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. 
we're going to be dividing the book into three different episodes, and we got lots of stuff to talk about, like war comics. We're going to be talking about the Bruce Tim directed animated feature. We're going to be talking about the different kind of like groups, like the Blackhawks and the Losers and everybody else um, with the New Frontier. So if you guys will check the forum, um, we'll make an announcement on the website about how we're going to divvy up the book. So go grab your copy of the newly solicited Absolute New Frontier or grab the two trades or find them in your back issue bins. It's going to be a very good three episodes. Uh, I think we have a lot to work with and a lot to talk about with the New Frontier. And then we're going to have a referendum, and we're not going to do any DC books for a good while. <laughs> Yay! Until we do Green Lantern right afterwards, so I lied, so it's too bad. Oh, for like nine um, years. <laughs> um, Nine years of green lantern. Um, I like. It. I, I also want to say thanks to um, the guys at the Fixers Hideout, uh, Umar and everybody over there. Uh, they they like the show. They liked our All Star Superman episode, and that's a long time coming. So please check out the Fixers Hideout. They're also at thecomicforums.com. Check those guys out, and also uh, check out the guys over at Raging Bullets. Uh, they do DC comics uh, a lot better than we do. Uh, so go grab your daily dose of 12 hours of awesome DC podcasting uh, each week by Sean and Jim over at Raging Bullets. Those Don't forget Luke and the so... Handicast, too. Oh, yeah. Luke, uh, Luke, brother Luke. Luke and the Handicast. Todd Goo. Ken's podcast. Cool. Uh, grow up. Todd Goo. Yeah, Ken, Ken, Ken couldn't be here with us tonight because he was busy recording his own Wolverine show, Trader. But, um, but definitely check <laughs> it out. It's it <laughs> interesting to to hear him and Art go back and forth on what they thought of, of Wolverine Origins. Nice. And check out cheapasstrades.com for all your cheap trades. Um, I, I go there almost daily looking for stuff. Um, prices fluctuate and change constantly, but you find a lot, a lot of good deals there. Um, a lot of good prices on hardcovers and trades, cheapasstrades.com. Go to fredhendeck.com, get a commission. Go to evilrabbit.org, get a commission from Ag- Agnes Garabowski. Go to KeithCourage.com, get a commission from Keith McNally, from Keith and the Girl, and um, go to bed. To all our friends. Go get a sketch <laughs> from Gene. Go get a sketch from Gene Ha too. I got a story for I that. Try to we'll anyway. That next time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on an audio blog. <laughs> all right, I'm killing this. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. Thanks.